0: Bible-believing church, and uh, we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be proclaimed not just one Sunday a month, but the gospel needs to be communicated every time we have an opportunity. And that's why our theme for the church, it's on the back page of the bulletin card, uh, which is if you'd like to take that with you today, that one in front of you, it lists some of the things that we're planning to be covering this month. But on the back side, on the bottom, we list our point that uh, we're, our purpose here is to communicate the gospel by word and by deed and with passion. And, and the first person we communicate the gospel with might surprise you. Who needs the gospel? We do. And uh, that's why the emphasis there on Sunday mornings is that we preach the gospel to us at church. Uh, our main meeting, our main gathering is to gather in God's house to Worship, but to hear the gospel anew. And uh, when you look there, first to ourselves, then to our neighbors, as the Bible says, uh, that we should love our neighbors as ourselves, and then to the world through missions, uh, that the wonders of God's grace in Christ might be known. Uh, We are a Bible-believing church, unashamed of that, and that's where the gospel is found. There's no other place. As we mentioned last week, no other name given among men whereby we can be saved. So let's reverently attend to the public reading of God's word. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4, and it's printed for you in the bulletin text. uh, Or if you have your Bibles on the Pew Bibles, it's page 1160 in those Pew Bibles. But uh, we'll be looking at chapter 4, verse 23. And then I want to be able to read, read that and take us through the passage. But in verse 23, this is God's word. It's in Aaron, infallible, and inspired in its originals. Uh, this is what Luke records for us. When they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. This is a fun text. It almost sounds like I'm preaching about gossip. But in this case, I wouldn't be telling you to stop it. I'd be telling you to do more of it. Okay. When Luke is recording this, uh, just a few uh, we can almost count the hours after Pentecost Sunday, uh, what you find is that the people that were released were Peter and John who were in prison. We had remembered that they were there last week uh, and then they were released and this is where if you'll re- following along all the way to verse 33, uh, when they were released, that's when Peter and John were released, they went to their friends, that is to the Christian community and they reported, to the Christian community, what the chief priests and what the elders of the community, uh, excuse me, what the, the elders of the society had said to them. Okay, so if you get the scoop now, you're finding out that Peter and John used to be in prison, now they're out of prison, and instead of just twiddling their thumbs saying, Oh, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, they ended up going to their community. Okay, how big is the community at this time? I'm impressed. Somebody came up with an answer over here that was about 5,000, uh, because if you look, the Christian community, we really didn't know how many uh, were professing believers uh, until Acts chapter 2, when he finished preaching, 3,000 uh, people were identified. So it was a round number of about 3,000 souls that identified as part of the family of God. Now, I believe there were more than that, but on that day, God, God's power was released. Now, additionally, we have 2,000 added, so we can comfortably say that there there's probably about 5,000 professing believers plus the leadership. So there's more than 5,000 people. Now, when when Peter and John were released, verse 23, they went to some of the people of that 5,000 and they reported to them what the folks that were in the elites had done and what they had said. Now, picking up in verse 24. And when the people the 5,000 plus heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they said, and in quotes, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, verse 27... With all boldness. Verse 30 While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, and the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, then they were all filled with the Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. Now, when you realize this is not only history, it is his story. We believe that this is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word because God wanted us to know these things. And so it was through Luke uh, who who became a Christian. We are introduced to him in Acts chapter 16. But when Luke followed Paul around, Luke actually was given the task of writing a record of the things that happened to Jesus, uh, which he did in the gospel of Luke. And then he continued to write that record about the Acts of the Apostles. And so when we look at the book of Acts, Luke fills us in with some of the details about what happened. Let me pray God's blessing. Lord, I do ask that you'll take the reading of the word and especially the preaching of the word and make it an effectual means so that we might know the truth and that it might set us free. Uh, oh Lord, I pray that the power that you've promised would not be something that we would be afraid of, but will be something that we enjoy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On the back of the bulletin card, I have a couple of verses there for this series that I've been reading, which is from Matthew 24 and from Acts 1.8. I want you to get the helicopter view context. In Matthew 24, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, they will deliver you up to tribulation. This is verses 9 through 14. The world, the leaders of this world are going to deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be, I don't want to say that. You guys are all so nice. You know, wouldn't Jesus want us all to be loved? Wouldn't Jesus want us all to get along? It's interesting that when the Lord Jesus warned his disciples, and this is why I'm warning you, because the same truth is in effect. Jesus was warning his disciples, and he said, they'll hate you, that you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. In other words, if you're a Jesus follower or if you're somebody a part of the way, his way, if you're somebody that bears Christ, I am. Christians, he says, if you're, because of my name, many will hate you. And and it says in verse 10, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. This is tough stuff. Living in a community where people don't even trust their neighbors, And even when you're a follower of Christ, Jesus was saying, don't be tricked. This is what happens when the world looks at at me and and stuff. And then you'll... And we'll see that in our text today. Many false prophets will arise and many of the people will be led astray. Verse 12. And because of lawlessness, in other words, because lawlessness is increasing, because people are not restrained, because people are are able to do whatever they want to do, it says the love of many will grow cold. People are not going to have great confidence anymore. They're not going to trust in leaders and people that are going to take care of things. Does that seem oddly familiar in 2021? But the one who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony, even to all the nations, before the end comes. Now, when, when you hear that for a moment, I want you to say that none of the things that you're going through, none of the things that we're observing on television, are outside of God's parameters. God is not a; uh, we're not deists. We don't believe that God just wound up this world like a clock and just let it run. He is intimately involved, and he was giving clues. He was giving instructions to the disciples, even in Matthew 24. So then in Acts 1-8, when Luke ends up reporting that Jesus ascends up into heaven, then the angels look at the people and they say, hey, guys, don't just stand there. I know I'm repeating from last week, but just you got to let it sink in. This same Jesus is coming back. In other words, his, his story is not complete yet. He has accomplished salvation, but he hasn't applied it to all the hearts that he's applying it to. All the sheep are not yet in the fold. And he says in in chapter 1, verse 8, and you have it in front of you, but you shall receive a little bit of help. And the text of the Greek there is uh, the word dunamis for the word power. It's like dynamite. You're going to need this extra help. And then he says, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, the Spirit will make you a witness. The Spirit will give you this power that will enable you to do what couldn't be done before. And the interesting there is that the gospel is going to not just be kept to yourself. It's going to be delivered to your neighbor, and it's going to be delivered to the region, and then it's going to be delivered to the uttermost parts of this little globe. That's what the agenda that God has. And whenever we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, God's will is that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth and it will not return void. Now, we're going to see that in the text today, but I want you to make sure that you noticed that we couldn't do this on our own. You are powerless to do this mission. And that's why the Holy Spirit was going to release power so that in this New Testament era, we would be able to see the gospel go out in ways that... That would amaze people. Now, with that in mind, I want to be able to now take you to our text today. In Acts chapter four, uh, we've already seen this power beginning to be unleashed. The power unleashed through the preacher in chapter two. In chapter three, the power was unleashed to be able to heal somebody that was broken, and that changed the narrative. People started talking a little bit different because then they realized that it's not all about this dead Jesus that was that was put up on a cross and humiliated, and then all the conspiracies about uh, that some disciples stole him from that from that tomb. All of that was the narrative until Peter and John come in and, 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 I mean, of course, the preaching went out boldly, but then the next day you hear, wow, wow. Everybody knew that guy who was over 40 years of age was now able to worship on his own and not have to be carried in or to be left outside. Then we saw right after, at the end of that, with the changing of the narrative, then we had a confrontation. We had a changing of the trajectory The religious leaders and all thought they had everything under control. They were trying to have the Pax Romana. They were trying to keep peace. Uh, The peace of Rome was supposed to keep the peace of Jerusalem. And it was supposed to keep peace everywhere. And for your own good, you needed to shut up and you needed to get in line and you needed to do exactly what you were told to do. Who ruffled their feathers? Was it the average church people or was it the preacher guys? If you look at the text, it was the preacher guys. Peter and John, who knew Jesus intimately, they had been up with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They, you know, Peter, they actually walked on water. You know, they were the ones that ate the fish that he multiplied. I mean, it's pretty amazing all the things that Peter and John knew about Jesus. And now they're empowered to be able to stand up against everybody in their society, speak in the whole world. But the elite people, they had a plan, a trajectory. We're going to silence them. We're going to cancel them. We're going to put a zipper on their lip. We're going to put them behind the bars. And we're going to make them as if they were never here. At the end of last chapter, we saw how effective they were at doing that. In fact, in chapter 4, verses 19 and 22, let me read them. But Peter and John... Uh, They had been in prison. He says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you can be the judge, but for we, we cannot but speak of what what we have seen and heard. Now, Peter and John, they were not afraid to say, hey, you can tell us all the things that you want to tell us, but we're going to speak about the truth. We've seen it with our own eyes. We're speaking about what we know from our own experience. We know Jesus Christ. Now, for that, they were put in jail, and they were beaten, and they, it, was, it was a pretty, pretty bad time. Now, we pick up our text, if you will, in chapter 4, verse 23. They finally are released from prison. They had been there overnight, and now they're let go. Uh, and when they, when they got out, this is when the trouble starts to brew again. You would think that people that have been having their, slap, their wrists slapped and slapped and slapped, that they would stop doing it. You know, you don't want your wrist slapped again, you'd, you'd stop doing it. Peter and John, right when they get out, they're not going to put the zipper on the lip. They're not going to self-counsel. They go out there, and this is where the text picks up. When they were released, they went to their friends, to the Christian community, and they reported to to the Christian community all the things that the elites had done and what they had said. They were basically saying, this is the secular way of looking at it, and this is what we experience because of the secular agenda. Wow. Wow. Now, by way of introduction, I just simply want to say this, is that we haven't really talked about the average person these days. The average person in that first century, uh, they had just, uh, they were all alive. I mean, if you were, if I was standing there in front of the crowd and I'd say, how many of you didn't see Jesus hanging on the cross? I think almost all of them would have seen it. It was a spectacle. It was no small thing. Everybody was very familiar. And if you had seen Jesus with your own eyes, I mean, I can only imagine that it was like the Passion movie that Mel Gibson put out. Some of you couldn't even watch that. It's so violent. It's so difficult that it's rated R. And some people don't even want their kids to have to endure that kind of misery, the suffering that Jesus went through. But if you were there in that era, 50 days earlier or 55 days earlier, you could have seen with your own eyes the suffering of the Savior. And you would have recognized that Isaiah was right in chapter 53. Who would believe it? He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was laid upon him. And with his stripes, he was pierced. He was beaten. He was smitten. Despised and rejected, and we esteemed him not. That's the situation that you find it. Now, things are changing. The power of God is being unleashed. And the folks there, they were uninformed. That was one of their problems. Secondly, they were not engaging in prayer right now. And thirdly, they didn't really know what the Christian community was like. These people were were isolated. They were were put put away almost as if they were told to go back to your home and just quarantine. Just stay isolated. Now, what happens when you pull people away? Well, I liken it to the, the illustration of trying to have a little bonfire. You know, if you have a log that goes next to the fire, what happens to that log? It catches fire. What happens if you take a log that's in the fire and you pull it out and you separate it and put it all by itself another 10 feet away? It's going to go out pretty quick. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is is that this is what the elite were trying to do for the early Christians. Just go home, self-quarantine, zipper your lip, just be quiet. Now, the power that comes to these people comes in three ways. And if you're following along with me, you'll be able to see it. You can even see it in your notes. Uh, the three ways that the power is unleashed, uh, it is first by God giving, by God providing firsthand information to the people. So the first thing is God gives them information. The second thing, if you're point two, God gives power to the people through praying through prayerful application. And we're going to examine that very quickly in a few moments. But the third way that the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon these people is that they enjoy this thing called the unity of community. It is the blessing of grace because they are in community. They're not isolated. They're not left alone. They're not the log that's away from the fire. And when you look at this beautiful dynamic, you would have never expected this to happen the night before when your preacher man was thrown into prison. When the religious community were saying, you better not speak. So, here we are. First point. The people didn't know where Peter and John were. They didn't even know if Peter and John were still alive. What did they know? How many of them do you think memorized uh, Philippians 1, 6? That God is faithful, that he'll start the work and finish it. Come on, you know the answer. It hadn't been written yet. Okay. They certainly couldn't quote Paul uh, when Paul hadn't even been converted until chapter 9. Okay. So what I'm trying to tell you is the only thing these people had was the Old Testament scrolls. And how many of, you, how many of them do you think had a copy of it on, at home? I mean, it was a pretty good accomplishment if they could have read it in Hebrew. But I mean, those scrolls, they were special. And, and I mean, uh, you just didn't get your hands on one of them. Since Xerox machines hadn't been uh, invented, the printing press hadn't been done. I mean, people didn't have the word of God. So what did they know? I want you to know something. They knew some of the Bible. How do I know they knew some of the Bible? Because they were quoting it in their prayer. It's awesome to be able to quote from the Psalms. You don't quote from the Psalms if you don't know the Psalms. Okay, it is true that it was Psalm 2, so they didn't have to learn all 150 of them. If they already got through Psalm, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, at least Psalm 2, they could quote it. And what I'm trying to tell you is that the people still were uninformed. They had some of these texts from the Old Testament. Some of them were precious to them. They don't doubt, no doubt were memorizing them when they would have the Songs of Ascent and things like that. But for the most part, people didn't know a lot of the text of Scripture. There had been 400 silent years until John the Baptizer comes out to prepare the way for the Lord. And he was an unusual character, dressed a little bit different than me. Smelled a little bit different too. And he was doing the baptism of repentance and people were like... but John had to decrease so that Jesus could increase because the focus was not on John, it was on Christ. And that's why we get this focus with Peter on Christ again. But the people, they they had just seen the Christ crucified. They had just seen everything fall apart. They had seen him put into a tomb. And it was like the life was drained out of them. Now, in those last 50 days, from from the Passover to to the the ascension to the... Pentecost, you have Jesus doing some neat things. He shows up, gives some special training. He works with some of the disciples. He reminds them of the power that he's going to give them, that they need to pray together, and that's why they did meet together for a prayer meeting in the upper room with 120 of them. Then we find, finally, that all of the gospel details have been done. Now, the, the, we always say redemption was anticipated in the Old Testament. Then redemption was accomplished at Calvary's cross with the death, burial, and resurrection. And now the redemption needs to be applied. The Spirit of God is giving special power to apply this redemption to the sheep that he is going to draw to himself. The great shepherd is going to call them and he's going to use the disciples to go into all the world to do it. Now, in this particular state of being, there's about 5,000 converts, uh, but uh, 3,000, maybe a few more now, uh, but they're they're just pondering, what do we do now? Our, Our leaders are in jail. So the first thing you find is that information was very important. And how do you get information? Most of you know, and especially those of you that are younger, you get your information from whatever the phone says, right? The phone is always right. The phone even listens better than your spouse. (laughs) The phone is not where you should be getting your information. They got their information from these two individuals who had firsthand experience of the culture. Peter and John had been in prison. Peter and John had been with the elites. Peter and John had studied what was going on in society. And Peter and John are released. And what do Peter and John do? They inform the people of God. I want to encourage you. Be careful what your ears are listening to. Or as I like to say, whose voice are you paying attention to? If you're listening to the wrong voices, you will be led astray. There are wolves in sheep's clothing all over the place. And when people tell you that they're telling the truth, you better check to see if their nose grows like Pinocchio. Because most people, when they think they're telling the truth, are just spitting, or, or they're just uh, letting the stuff come through them that they've heard from some other voice. It is so very difficult to have confidence in what anybody says. And that's why a lot of the young people have stopped giving confidence to to their parents and to their government officials and even to the police department. They don't listen to anybody in general except their favorite voices, their phones. And they have their favorite podcasts and they have their favorite ones that they'll listen to. Now, having said that, the thing that God provided was information, information. When Peter and John came out, they told them a lot about the details, about what was actually said. And what's fascinating to me is they named names. Peter and John just didn't give generics. They didn't say, oh, well, there might be some over here or this philosophy is over here. I mean, it's really interesting when the details come out. This is, what's, this is what the, the, chief, the chief priest said. This is what this one said. This is what this one did. This is what they did. This is what, they, what we experienced. It's really interesting when you hear the truth from people who experienced it. And what a wind of blessing that is to be informed about what really is happening rather than to be hidden away, so to speak, in a turtle shell where you don't know. You're lacking information. You don't know what God's doing in this world. Some of you have thought that it's a blissful place to be hidden away and know nothing. If you remember that Hogan's Heroes character, Sergeant Schultz, I know nothing, nothing, nothing. I've got a few laughters on that because you have seen the reruns. Okay? I saw some of them live. Uh, now, my point that I'm saying is Christians need to be informed. This is by God's design. This is part of the reason why the power came because they were informed. Now, the second thing you're going to find is that that information led them to pray. Now, the prayer that they had there is pretty interesting. If you look at verse uh, 24, when they heard all the information, then they did the immediate thing. They reacted in prayer. Through prayerful application, they were empowered. But this prayer is is pretty awesome. Okay, there are several affirmations in it. The first affirmation is that God is the authority. The second affirmation is that God owns everything. The third affirmation is that God has Perspicacity, I can't even say my own word, um, that God knows everything that's going on. There's nothing hidden from Him. And the fourth thing in their prayer is an affirmation of God's disclosure. Guess what? They're going to get information too from Him. God didn't just say, "Oh, you figure it out on your own," or "You listen to a few voices." No, God says, "I will reveal to you what you need to hear." So, in this particular point of the prayer, I want you to see. First, they said, "You're the sovereign Lord." Now, here at New Covenant Church, I am absolutely pro uh, using the term sovereign. You know, we believe in the sovereignty of God. You know, because if you if what's in competition with the sovereignty of God, if God's not sovereign, then who is? then people are. You see, what happens in the equation? If God is in charge, then people are submissive to him. But if God's not in charge, then people try to be in charge as if they dismiss God. You see, and what happens in our culture is most of us don't deal with a sovereign God because sometimes you even wonder where God is. In the Evan Almighty movie, it was quite interesting to watch Morgan Freeman play the role of God. Was he nice? It was kind of nice how they made Morgan Freeman be willing to do the little dance I'm not doing it very well. But, I mean, he also did some humor and stuff like that. So the God character was not presented as awful as some people imagine. But do you even know God? The people here, the people of God, immediately know that God is God. They understand what sovereignty is. And then they end. Up, the second affirmation is God owns it all. There's nothing that the, the Caesar or that the chief priest or that even your neighbor has that God isn't uh, control of. Because look at how it says, God made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything that's in them. Do you pray like that? Do you really believe that God owns it all, that he made it all, that he sustains it all? We talk about creation and providence. That only happens from a sovereign God. The third thing that they affirm here is that, that God knows all the things that are going on. How do I know this? It's because they start quoting God from, okay, they, they, <laughs> it's interesting. They're quoting God who spoke to their forefather, David. So God spoke to David, and then God spoke through David to speak to them. So it's really interesting how God has been speaking, and David was a thousand years before Christ, so just back up a thousand years, one millennium, and that's when David gave these words. So God is in the business of being able to speak what needs to be spoken because he's a communicating God. But he sees it all, and that's one of the things that we need to realize. It's not just that God is in charge and he does whatever he wants. It's not only that he owns it all and he can do everything he wants, but God knows it all, and he has a plan. He has an agenda, even though some of us may not figure that out. Just like most of the people that day when their their two pastors had been in jail and they didn't know if they were ever coming back, those people were like, well, well, well. They knew God, but they think they doubted God until they saw God, God's handiwork, his fingerprints on things, the affirmation of God's disclosure. If you look here at what was said, and this is one of the reasons I was drawn to this whole passage of, of Acts 3, 4, and 5, is that I'm, my theme verse since the election has been to go to Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage? Why do the secular people imagine all this stuff? Why do the leaders of the societies and even of the countries, the prime ministers as well as the, the people running the states and running the school systems, why do they all imagine that Christianity is so bad? Why do they want to cast away their cords of Christianity from their plans? And they're raging at it. In other words, it's not like saying, oh, well, you know, that, like that Humpty Dumpty character or whatever, Uncle Barry Finn. It's not like they're just going through wondering. No, they're raging. There is, a, there is a, a manifest destiny that they're going to eradicate God from our country, from our world. They don't like, in God we trust on our money. Because they don't know God and they don't trust him. And so as a result, they trust government, they trust the elites, they trust the agenda that they have, and that fits with what David encountered back in Psalm 2. Why is the secular world engaged in this ungodly maneuver? It's because they don't know God. The reason I like Psalm 2, though, is not that it just paints the reality of life in this this fallen world. The reason I like Psalm 2 is because after he explains that, it's not a dead end. He that sits in the heavens... What does he do? He laughs. Now, the only way that God can sit in the heavens and laugh is because he is sovereign, because he made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is, and it is because he knows everything that's going on. Isn't it amazing that the same sovereign understanding is the same thing that should encourage us today? And that's why they came to understand these things through this prayerful application. Now, I want to go, go on a little bit further and say, when they got all this, uh, this group was encouraged because of the word of God. The word of God that was given in the past a thousand years ago was the same word of God that was being applied today. And how do we know that they were applying it today? Why did you, how do you know they believed it? If you look at the text, let me read it for you in verse 27. He says, after they quoted the text, they said, yes, even in this city where we're gathered together, in other words, you can see them scratching their heads saying, Hey, that applies right now. You know, the people around here, they're, they're gathered against your holy servant Jesus, the one that you anointed as the Christ, the Christos. He says, and then they named the names. Yes, that politician named Herod. Oh, that politician named Pontius Pilate. And then they said, oh yeah, and there were even some other Gentiles, some other people who, who are in positions of leadership, and, and, and even those people that were in some leadership roles in Israel in our own kind of local locality. He says, oh yeah, those people, they're trying to get rid of that Jesus character too. Verse 28, those people are the ones who are raging. Those are the people that have set themselves against the Lord's anointed and they are doing whatever, oh, this is the tricky part. You got it in front of you? To do whatever your hand, oh God, and your plan, oh God, had predestined take place. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people in 2021 that don't believe that God's in control of anything. There's a lot of people who are saying, I'm not going to go back to that church. Or I'm not going to any church. I'm not going to darken the door of a church because if this is what happens, then there must not be a God. The problem is they don't understand what God has predetermined. I can clearly tell you that God did not predetermine that things would all be that, that, that everything is going to be bad, bad, bad. The emphasis of the predetermination is that God has an agenda to save the lost, to, and to bring in all of the sheep that are supposed to come into the fold. When Jesus said, I'm the great shepherd in John 10, all my sheep will hear my voice and they will follow me. God has a plan to include the adoption of a lot of children into the family of God. They're going to be numerous and, and he's going to accomplish that purpose. But until he accomplishes that purpose, the world is on a, uh, on, a, on a trajectory that is destructive. Because when people do what's right in their own eyes, according to Proverbs 14, 12, it leads to destruction. How many people around you are leaning on their own understanding? Even Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the one that everybody knows, you've heard me quote it a thousand times, uh, where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on Your own thoughts. You see, we're all so prone to lean on our own thoughts and not acknowledge God in all of our ways. And as a result, we have crooked paths. But when we trust the Lord and acknowledge him, he, he puts light in front of us and shows us the way. And that's what he's been doing to the people there who had been without information and now they, are, they had been without prayer and now they're praying. And in praying, they're seeing the truth of the scripture. They're seeing how it's being applied and it's really cool. But the third thing they get is the, God empowered them to experience the grace of community. They have been isolated. They have been jokingly quarantined. They have been canceled and silenced. They don't even have social media. Can you imagine life without social media? They don't even have a cell phone. They don't even have a landline. They don't even have a dial up. How do you get the word out? And it's in this that the community was finally being experienced. Before this time, the people had heard about the truth of Christ, but they didn't, they didn't experience the, the, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. This was new to them. I mean, they've been hiding. Been, they, they're, they're, they're barely getting their own families together, but they haven't seen the group of community together. And now in chapter four, after they see these things and in their prayer requests, uh, they are going to see it. They had just prayed after they recognized the truth of Scripture. They had prayed that the Word of God would continue. They had prayed that their leaders would not get shy. And they had prayed that God would continue the ministry of brokenness, uh, uh, the ministry of healing brokenness. All of that's in verses 29 and 30. Uh, But if you look at verse 31 to 33, and this is the final point of the sermon, uh, which is wrapping things up about the unity and community. Listen to how it all unfolds. After they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered was shaken. Okay? They, we don't know if it was an earthquake. Uh, it doesn't have to be an earthquake. But the people all felt some shaking. In other words, something was happening. Okay? Now, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, this is one of those things where some people will say, well, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit before, but now they are. Uh, what I'm always going to argue here is that they were filled with the power that the Holy Spirit brings. Nobody can receive Christ without the Holy Spirit. I can show you that from Romans chapter 8, theologically. But the explanation that Luke is saying is that the Spirit of God is releasing power to them. They're filled. They're feeling this power. It's, 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 It's unusual. It's something new. Okay? And it says they were filled with the Spirit's power. They continued to speak. This is where some people will say, oh, they all spoke in tongues. Is that what the text says? No, what did they speak? They spoke the Scriptures. Now, mind you, they're speaking the Old Testament Scriptures because at this point in time, not any of the Scriptures have been written. This is only A.D. 33. The first ones to be written is maybe A.D. 50, A.D. 49, the book of Galatians, or the book of James. So there's no New Testament Scripture being written, but they all were very familiar with their own hearing of what Jesus had said. And the Holy Spirit was going to bring to remembrance the things that Jesus had said. So even though they hadn't been written down, they would have great recall. And the preachers were supposed to bring to light some of those messages so that the Spirit of God would take the reading and the, and the preaching and make it an effectual means. They, they were all continuing to speak about the Word of God, and they had boldness. Now, I'm trying to tell you that when they're speaking the Word of God, and they just spoke the Word of God from, what book was it, Psalm? Some of you are catching on. They were reading the Old Testament. It was familiar to them, and and God had given them the recollection of it when they got to praying, and the next thing you know, they're talking to each other about the Word of God. Can you imagine? It's almost like having the fourth point before we ever did a fourth point. The fourth point is to go away from today's service and talk about the Word of God with your family members, with your loved ones, with your neighbors, and maybe even with the lost this is what's so interesting that the, the power of God comes and the word of God is treasured. It's precious. It's on their lips. It's in their thoughts. And, and then the next thing comes in in and, and verse 32. Now the number, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Now this is amazing because in this common, in 2021, after that last election, you would think that everybody in the whole globe believes in communism now. You would have it that, that we need to have all equal outcomes. That everybody needs to have the same, 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 same. You need all to have the same health care. You need all to have the same income. You need all to have the same uh, words. You're no longer boys and girls. You're just all just people or persons. Or as the one consortium locally calls them, you're just friends. You see, everything is, all of the things have to just be eliminated so you can have all this thing in common. Now, some people think that this text is the one that supports this. And I want you to say, "Eh, it's not. Listen to what the text here says. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. The spirit of God comes upon them and they continue to study the word of God. In verse 32. Now the full number of these people, they were in one accord. They They were functioning with one heart and one soul. Now this is new. This is new. Now, just imagine for a few moments, we just experienced the joy with Verna and with Christian. Even though they're going to be moving further away and not probably be able to fellowship with as much, are we angry? Get out of here and never come back. No, if you look at what we did, we're rejoicing that they're communicating with us. There's sadness in their soul, and we're trying to lift them up because we believe that both of them are doing what God has called them to do. The one has been called to minister closer to family and not look back, and the other one's been called to be ministered by family. And that's why she wanted prayer. It's tough when family takes care of you. Because in our day and age, what is family? One phone call a month? What is family? Making sure that some caregiver shows up? What is family? You ship them off to college? See them three times a year? You all got that. What is family? In our culture today, they're redefining family. They don't even know what family is, so they're trying to say family is any relationships that you enter into. And they hope that that family stuff is going to be okay because they're eliminating so many of the things that God said family is. If you go back at the beginning, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife because he's a husband and they're gonna they're gonna form one family that's going to have children. And the children are gonna their parents in the Lord because this is right. That's what I told you. (laughs) Now, that's what God told me. That's what my parents told me too, because they were reading from God's Word. When you look at family now, it's been almost erased. They're redefining what relationships are. You can stand before any justice of peace and you can say that you are now a new married unit. But of course, no matter what you do to try to substitute for the way God set it up, you always have to go back to the original. Because just like if you put together, oh, this is a bad illustration, I probably shouldn't use it. But if you have a horse and a a donkey and you put them together, uh, do you get a herd of mules? Yes, you can get a mule, but you won't get a mule that produces more mules. Okay, there's limits. There's, there, things don't happen that way. God has designed it that it's his way, Genesis 2.24. Now, having said that, they're in one heart and one soul. This, they, this is the family of God coming together. This is what Paul says in Galatians is the unity in the body, or as I'm trying to preach in the sermon today, the unity in the word community. Yes, they had all things in common because they had a unity. What, what did they have in common? Now, at the beach today, I was trying to say, it is clear that there was no government entity that came in and started to say, let's see what's in your bank account, what's in your bank account, what's in your bank account. Let's see what you have and what you don't have, and then we'll try to equal it all out. This is not what's happening in in, in Acts 4. What is the unity? Christ is the unity. They are now all in Christ. They have all been raised with Christ in the power of His resurrection. There is a newness of life. Paul's going to explain it in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, behold, old things are passed away and all things have become new. I've been wearing this bracelet that says in Philippians chapter 3, we, we press on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God and Christ Jesus. Now, these are all scripture verses. Some of you know them and some of you don't. When you study, you'll hear them. But there is life in Christ, and these people are all experiencing it. And they are of one soul and one heart, not because they have equal possessions. I'm gonna, next week's sermon, I'm going to show you that a lot of them had a lot more money than some of the others. And in chapter 6, we even found some widows that weren't even having enough to even, even eat food. Not everybody had everything in common. It was not about equal outcomes. This is not communism. What this is, is love for your brother and sister. This is the family. Are any of you going through some difficulties? Or is everything wonderful for you? You know, I watched, and you've heard me testify the last couple of weeks, and maybe my mother in law, father in law are listening. But my wife was gone for about 10 days, and it wasn't because she was mad at me this time. No. She was away because love drove her to York to be able to be there with her mom who is hospitalized and her dad who is pretty much homebound. It wasn't because she was paid. And it wasn't because somebody forced her. It was because of the love of family. Being of one, let's look at that text where it says, being of one heart and soul. And no one was saying that they were all about their own stuff and greed, but they had everything in common. They cared for everybody. And then the last part, that's when the great power shows up. My watch has told me it has power over me that I need to be quiet now. But I'll wrap up with this. The power of the resurrection is what they kept talking about. The resurrection tells us that there's something more than this world has to offer. There's something better than anything you can get in this lifetime. Because the resurrection only takes place after the death. And I want you to be able to know that folks who don't know Jesus don't believe in a resurrection, they don't have a hope. When when you quote for them, John chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 6, you know, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I'm going, you may be also. You see, if you don't believe in the resurrection, that's a lot of baloney. People that don't believe in the resurrection, they want to fix this earth. They want to change the climate so it lasts longer. They want you to take all the stuff into your body, change your diet, and do all this kind of stuff so you can live forever. Oh, no, they don't say that, do they? Does anybody ever promise you everlasting life? No, they just promise you that if you go to the hospital, you won't get the main symptoms. I want you to know that there is a promise that is everlasting. Everlasting. And with great power, these preachers were giving their testimony about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you focus on what Jesus has prepared for you, great grace, God's smile, unconditional favor was upon all of those believers. Didn't any of them still stay sick? Didn't any of them have cancer? Did any of them still lose their hair? I don't, I mean, I can tell you that I don't think they, I don't think all those things were fixed because their focus was fixed on the resurrection. For me to live is Christ, but because I'm going to die and after that the resurrection is gain. Are you trusting in the resurrected Christ? The whole reason we put the name of the the beach service, Sunrise at the Beach. I'll finish with this quick little story. There was about four ladies there over there, and I think some of you can testify to it. Uh, You guys heard it is that the lady said, oh, I came last year. I came last year to one of the last services. And she says, you wouldn't, she says, I have to just tell you this story. She says, it was because this other girl here parked wrong that we couldn't get the car out that had the right ticket, the right pass to be able to get into uh, the Cape Henlopen State Park. So because we couldn't get out because of that girl that parked wrong, we had to go to Rehoboth Beach. So they come to Rehoboth Beach to watch the sunrise, and it didn't rise. In other words, it rose behind clouds and they didn't get to see it. And she's a grumpy Gus. And so there she is at the beach last year and she's looking for the sunrise. And as she turns around, and, because someone said there was a glimpse of some sunlight, then she turned around and she saw one of our people putting the 12-foot cross up on the beach. And as that tr- cross went up on the beach, she stopped and said, I wonder this must be a service or something. Okay? And then the, then the other guys put up the, 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 the sign. We have a banner that goes up on the beach. And it says, sunrise at the beach. And the lady was like, I came for the sunrise at the beach. <laughs> and she stayed for the service. And, she's, and she said that the message that I preached about the, uh, about the broken bowl. You know, the Japanese or some of the Orientals have those broken bowls. And then they put them back together with gold, the kitsuji. She said, you preach the message about how God can take us with our brokenness and put us together, and we're we're more valuable now. And she said she's been telling all of her friends, all of her family, about how God orchestrated that message. She's, She's got this thing in common. I didn't even want to leave the beach. I wanted to hang out with them all day. Because they had an awareness of the sovereign God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is and the one who purposed to communicate to us what we need to know. Are you listening? Are you hearing his voice? The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be his witnesses in Lewis and Rehoboth, in Milton, in Millsboro, in in Delaware, in Pennsylvania, in Maryland, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That might be southern Maryland (laughs) by the bridge. Seriously, It's all because of the resurrected Christ. Let's pray.